Welcome to Unlocking Leadership. I'm Claire Carpenter and I'm your host. I'm joined today by Belinda Finch. Belinda is the CIO for 3UK. How excited am I to talk to you? Thank you so much for joining me today. My absolute pleasure. Delighted to be here. Welcome to the podcast. Before we kick into uh, the conversation, which I'm really looking forward to, I wonder if you might like to start us off by just giving us an idea about how you've arrived here. Who are you? What's your story? Tell us everything. Yes. So um, I'm Chief Chief Information Officer at 3UK. So 3 is a mobile company. For those that don't know, we provide connectivity. So we're a connectivity company. So as a CIO here, I'm responsible for two aspects, really. Responsible for all the IT across the UK estate, 3UK estate, both from a transformation point of view and also your normal run-of-the-mill, business-as-usual operations and change. So whether that be systems used in our stores by our retail colleagues, back-end billing systems, digital systems used by our, our customers, or the more boring stuff, your finance, your HR, the, your internal type systems. I'm responsible for all of that, but I'm also responsible for transforming it as well. So we're in the middle of a transformation program at the moment, so I'm battling with my time a little bit. I have to make sure that the transformation program is is running and it's on track and, and, and we're delivering everything that we need to deliver. But also we've got a, an operation to run. We've got people using our network and our and, and our system. So our customers come absolutely first. So I'm battling those those two things. But it's so exciting. It's just really, really exciting. And we're going to create a fabulous future for three for our employees and, and our customers alike. So I started three to two years ago now, right in the middle of the pandemic. And I was interviewed via this medium uh, uh, like, like this. I never met anybody. I was there for about probably a good 12 months before I actually met, met anyone. So it's, it, it was a really bizarre start. So I came in, my role was create the CIO department from scratch because there wasn't really an IT department. I had to come in, create a, a department from scratch, pull people in from all over the, the, the organization, redo where we were with the transformation program and, you know, run, a, run, run an IT department, all whilst not being in the office, never meeting anyone face to face. And it's really bizarre because, because I'm quite introverted. Actually, being behind a computer screen has helped me enormously. Everybody's in their own homes. You can see everyone's weird wallpaper and the stuff that they've got behind and kids coming in the room and and everything. And then for whatever reason, the barriers just go down. Mm -hmm. You've got the computer screen in front of you, which is like a barrier and a safety blanket. And then everyone's on the same level pegging field. You're not knocking on a door of the CEO's massive office. And and I found that a lot easier, actually, joining a company virtually when everybody was working working virtually. I'm going to go back to when I was about 12 years old. I promise this will, this will not take long. <laughs> My dad came back from work with a BBC B computer. My dad was a poet, and he still is a poet. He worked in a, the, the, the literary environment, and uh, so he wasn't technical at all. But he could bring home this BBC B computer, and I loved it, absolutely got on with it. So for me, this was my first introduction to technology, and I just hit it off with technology. I like technology. Technology liked, liked me, and before we knew it, I was creating 
online address books. And I remember I had a program, this is in basic on a BBCB. Yeah. I created this rocket and this rocket would come up from the, from the uh, bottom of the screen and it would come up and it was all diff- different colours. And then instead of fire coming out of the bottom, it, it came out and it said address book and it sang Strawberry Fields Forever. <laughs> Utterly r- random. And then it opened up the address book and you could add in stuff into, in, into fields and stuff. But I was so, so massively proud of this. Really, really proud of it. Amazing. Uh, from that moment, I was like, right, this is what I want to do as a, as, as a career. So I did GCSE, uh, computer science. I did A-level computer science. We had to lobby the school to do A-level computer science because they didn't do it at that time, which seems bizarre these days, but it just wasn't offered. Mm. Computer science at that stage was very much a, you'd have to go to the local sixth form college if you wanted to do that along the lines of, you know, mechanics or whatever it was. I didn't want to do this for a number of reasons. One, they wouldn't have done it in Welsh and I did all my education in, in Welsh. And secondly... As a shy 16-year-old, there was no way I was going to the local local sixth form college. I wanted to stay in my safety of, of the school. We ended up being able to do it, so I did it. And then I, of course, applied to universities to do computer science. Of course, of course I would. And for one reason or another, my father gave me the probably one of the only pieces of advice which he's been completely and utterly wrong at, which is don't do computer science. It's too narrow. It's too focused on one very, very small thing where we don't know where this is going. Do something wider. Do business studies or business administration. So I, you know, being 17, 18, you know, okay, all right, yeah, okay, okay, dad. I did economics as a degree. At the end of my economics degree, I'm thinking, dad, you are so wrong because I still want to do this. Uh, As a punishment, I made him pay for me to do a master's and stay on at at university. So I did a master's in in software engineering. The combination, actually, of economics, understanding the economy, politics, and I did a bit of business studies and stuff in that as well, plus the computer science, actually enabled me to think slightly differently to people who had a pure computer science background. I mean, your passion and energy um, for the role you're doing is sort of palpable. I can, I can just hear waves and waves of it from you. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. There's so many questions coming out of all of that for me. I wonder if we might start at the, the beginning, because there's a lot of discussion has been for many years now about doing more to encourage young people of every um, gender into the world of technology. But in particular, I guess, over the last... I don't know, what do you think, maybe 10 years, something like that. There's been this very strong focus on removing barriers in particular for girls or women into the world of technology to the point where you know, there's, there's very significant campaigns for this. There have been. What do you say to that? Because you, know, you had that passion and that energy to do it right in the very early days. I'm still loving the rocket singing Strawberry Fields Forever. What do you say to the emphasis on that right now? So when you've landed in technology in the workplace and, and you're here, there are less women than men, but there's still a lot of us around, right? Mm. There's, there's, we have gone a long, long way to when I first started, when I was a, a, a first girl. Mm. Yet you can still see the difference. If you look on the floor here, the second floor is the technology floor. The third floor is the marketing and commercial floor. Technology floor, 
a lot of men. Marketing a commercial floor, a lot of women. Mm. It is, it's very stereotypical. But saying that, it's nowhere near as bad as it was, was say, say 20 years ago. So we have come a long way, but we've still got a long, long way to go. And I don't think there are huge barriers to being a woman in technology once you're in technology. Mm. Once you've got over, you know, the usual issues of women in work, yeah. you know, around maternity and being off for a while and coming back and, you know, just being different different types of people. The issue I think that we've got from a, from a technology point of view is getting women to do technology type degrees or even whatever degree, but go and get start in a tech career mm. because it's not something that, the, that girls think about. I've got a 12 year old and I say to her, because my husband's a CIO as well, and I say, say to her, you know, you're going to end up in technology, don't you? Because, you know, mummy and daddy are both in, both in technology. She's like, oh, no, that's so boring. <laughs> so automatically, it's like this is a really boring thing and fashion designing and, you know, all, all this kind of stuff is, is, you know, or even being a doctor is much more interesting. I, I think this is where we need to go now is get those girls to do not necessarily the right degrees, but have that interest and have the interest to come in to do to do technology. Because once you're here, you get massively supported. I wonder if it's not just women as well. I wonder if there's a bit more around the inclusion piece, around thinking about people from different cultural backgrounds, thinking about all of that. It's not, We sort of get fixated on this thing about, I don't know, different sexes in the workplace. But there's much more to it than that, isn't there? there there's much more to it. And you are a very, very strong business and a very successful business if you have a very diverse workforce. Mm. And that's not just male or male, female, as as you say, this is, you know, the different races, but also different backgrounds, public school, a normal comprehensive school, whether you're from the north of England or from South Wales or whatever, you think slightly differently. Yeah. As now data and artificial intelligence and machine learning and everything is coming much much more into the fore and something that that you just do those kind of backgrounds become even more and more more important Mm -hmm. that you can you, you basically program in your diverse background so if you've only got a white male doing your artificial intelligence programs it's going to be biased and it's not because that particular person is biased it's just because the way you think, the way you operate, where you've come from, it just shapes you as a, as an individual. What do you think about, I mean, you joined three in the pandemic and you've said how actually that really suited you. The idea of being in your own home, that you aren't necessarily at this, you know, this great big corner office door. What do you think about that as a, either a barrier or supporter of entry into this area now, as even more people are working in a hybrid way still, although lots of people are back in the office, lots of people are not, or they're only there one or two days a week. What impact has that had? It's early days, right? And there's still a lot of thinking to be done on this. But from what I've seen, hybrid working and working at home is going to be a problem unless we're really cognizant of it. And it's not a problem because it's a bad thing. It's a problem because I think that there is a complete gender bias when it comes to to hybrid working and work, working at home. Mm. I've, I've read some research recently that said that 47% of women what will not go into the office more than, than than three days a week, whereas the men are much, much lower. 
the reason is, it's not because, you know, men don't do anything at home and it's completely different. It's because by nature, as a woman, you are the caregiver. You just do. You you automatically do it. You you automatically go home and empty the dishwasher or go home and stick a lo- lo- load of washing on. Mm-hmm. It's not saying my, hu- my husband doesn't do that because he does. Well, he doesn't do the washing, but... It, he won't, a second nature, come in and go, I'll do the dishwasher first before I sit down. It'll be, I'll go and play a computer game first before I actually go and, and do stuff. It's just different nature and di- different people. Men, therefore, were much, much happier going to the office five, day, five, five days a week. And I hear it around here, which is, oh, I'd rather be in the office because I don't have to get involved in the housework if I'm at home. When I work at home, I've got to do all the housework. Whereas women are very much thinking, well, if I'm in the office two days a week, that means I'm three days a week at home. I can pick the kids up from school. In my lunch break, I, I can you know, put a load of washing on. I don't have to do the commute. I can then maybe go for a run in the morning instead of, instead of doing that. It's just the mindset is very different. Mm. So then we get into, actually, there's more men going into the office than, than women. For three, for example, we are, we're hybrid working and it works really well and it's really, really, really good. But if you see the office on some days, there's more men than women in, in, in the office. And that's purely because women are sticking to the two, two to three days in, in the office, whereas the men are coming in more like four, four or five days. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, at some point, a presenteeism problem. There's going to be a, because women more naturally will work from home and that's fine because, you know, we're, we're embracing it. Everything is dual, hybrid and, and, and face-to-face. So it's not a problem, but you lose that face time with your manager. And I really, really worry that we're going to go backwards unless we're really aware and cognizant and change the way that we manage and approach people. I wonder if that's really applicable in particular to a certain demographic as well, because I'm thinking about people coming out of uni or out of school and coming into apprenticeships. I guess what I'm particularly thinking about younger people joining the workforce, actually, maybe I'm not noticing any real distinction between the male-female split there around the desire to come into the office. It's, It's that sort of, what do you think, the sort of 30 to 50 sort of age bracket? It is. It is. It's that management age bracket, mm-hmm. which is why I think that, that we need to be really, really cognizant about it. Because you're right, the younger generation are embracing this. They're like, thank goodness for that, that I don't have to do the commute. And it doesn't matter. There's no difference between male, female. What? There's no, no difference at all. But, but you're right, as you get up into your, you know, late 30s, 40s, 50s, mm. you get a very much a, you know, I'm at home, there's kids at home, there's a lot to do. Actually, if I'm in the office five days a week, it's a lot easier and I can really focus on my job and my progression in work and, and everything. Whereas, whereas I think women do think slightly differently. I'm massively ambitious, really ambitious, and I want I want to move on in my career, mm. but I also want to work at home and have quite and, and, and have have a decent life. And now I can, I'm going to try and do both. And there's no reason why I can't do both. Yeah, oh, I'm thinking as well about how huh, workers sort of expanded to fill all available time, didn't it during the yeah. pandemic? And yeah. um, so suddenly we had more time because we weren't commuting. So we might log on at half seven or eight o'clock and actually do an extra, you know, couple of hours in the morning, do an extra couple of hours, maybe just switch it on again after dinner, you know, do that. And I think the split of people who are being paid for part-time hours, but actually doing full-time work is really interesting to consider as well what do you think about that 
Yeah, I, I think it's expectation. So there's expectation that everybody's always on. And you could see this creeping in before the pandemic anyway, with the, just the fact that, you know, you get emails so easily and you can email from your phone from bed in the morning and just before before you go to sleep. But I think since the pandemic, since then, everybody's had their laptops or their phones or their tablets and stuff given to them by their their, their employers. Everybody is able to do it. So I think I think it's getting worse and worse. In some respects, if you're clever about it, you can take advantage of the fact that you can work from anywhere. So me, for example, on a Wednesday, I might decide that I want to go go for a run in the afternoon. So I'll go for a run in the afternoon, but I'll work later. But it's okay. That's that that is fine because I can still do my job and I can do my job sitting at home. So for somebody like me who works in an office in 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 headquarters, I've got a laptop, I've got the phone and the tablet, and so therefore I can do it. Mm. I think there's a massive advantage to it as long as you manage it and you have those conversations with your manager that you don't mind answering emails at nine o'clock at night. But during lunchtime for two or three hours, I may not be be available and you have that conversation with your manager. Oh, and and that leads really nicely into the challenges for you, you said that sort of 30 to 50 age bracket is typically where our, our middle and senior management fall, which, you know, they do. There are real challenges about juggling a hybrid team, aren't there, in terms of that team building, building dynamic really building engagement. How are leaders now doing that really well, do you think? I don't think anyone's doing it really well. We Mm. didn't do it well over the pandemic because we were in and out of the office, you know, we were back for a couple of weeks and then we locked down again and whatever. It's only now that we're starting to come out into a... Some organisations are hybrid and some have gone, you know what, this is too hard, everyone back, back, back to the office. Here we try, everything has to be hybrid and face-to-face meetings. So everything has to have a Teams link. Even if you do massive gatherings, you need to have a Teams link. So so you can be a TV person, as we call them. But it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work at all. And the people who are dialing in are usually the ones who are left out or, you know, there's some issue and you can't hear people in the room. And there's not an easy answer. We try and have uh, what we call anchor days. So my team will come in on a Wednesday, for example, will come in and I know that everyone's going to be there on a Wednesday morning so that we can have a session session together. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't work for people and they don't come in. So having those development days are also very, very difficult Mm. because now we're hybrid. You can't force people to come into the office. And I think it's wrong to force people to come into the office. But then equally doing everything hybrid and face to face doesn't work. So I don't think that there's a right answer yet. I think I, I think we've got a long way to go to really understand how we're going to operate from a hybrid point of view. Yeah, I agree with you. That whole thing about you know some some people being in the room, some being uh, TV people, which I love. I agree. It's the people who aren't there that feel the lack of that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they do. And and look, some jobs you can't do at home. No. Then you've got a whole section of society that is left out of this hybrid working because there's no way they can do a, do, do a hybrid job. Yeah. It's tricky and it's something that will be worked out o- over time and somebody will get it right and everybody then will, will, will copy. But I, we're, we're not there yet. There's issues. Yeah. But I'm very, very glad I work for a company who have gone hybrid as opposed to forcing everyone back because I think that's 
that's the right thing to do. That's an inclusive thing to do. And it retains our really, really good women. And it also retains our graduates. It retains our younger generation who would basically go, no, sorry, I'm resigning. If you're going to make come into the office five, five days a week. Yeah. Hybrid working is definitely the future. How you balance it between the two, I don't think we've worked out yet. No, I think you're right. I think it's emergent. I think we're, we've got to be in that growth mindset around it, haven't we? We've got to keep trying and failing and, you know, learning. When you're at a manager level, you've got to have the right emotional intelligence to really think about this kind of stuff. It's not about everyone has to be in the office at the same time. You've got to think that some people are happier, some people are more motivated and more productive when they're, when they're at home. And my God, I'd rather a happier, productive em- employee than somebody at home yeah. than somebody miserable sitting there next to me at, in the office because they're forced in when they don't need to. Hybrid working is definitely the way forward. It's just how do you stop leaving people out? It's hard. It's really interesting, isn't it, how we have needed to trust so much more in the last few years that people are basically really well-intentioned with regard to their work, will do what is required and go over and above, which, let's face it, most people do, without needing to crawl all over them. And, you know, there's some ugly tech, isn't there, that's sort of of watching people working from them. That's awful, that is. Yeah. But you speaking about emotional intelligence, what made me sort of think about that area of trust as a thing in terms of how do we teach emerging leaders to let go of the need to see everything all the time? In order to be a good leader, trust is absolutely at the heart of it. You employ people in your team that you know that you're going to trust and you and you allow them to do whatever they're adults. At the end of the day, you empower individuals and you trust individuals to get on with their with, with their job. Because the proof's in the pudding at the end of the day. Yeah. People deliver or they don't, don't, don't deliver. Teaching people to let go of that micromanagement and letting go of the fact that they need to know everything. And to, or in order to know everything, they need to see everything because yeah. it absolutely isn't the case. And, well, we know it isn't because we did it for two years, right? Yeah. And thinking about well-being generally of people mm-hmm. who work for us as leaders, we have a we have a I think responsibility to think about that, don't we? As well as their learning and their and their progression in the workplace. Now, I know that you have. I don't want to call it a hobby because I'm not entirely sure that an ultramarathon obsession called a hobby. To be completely brutal, tell us more about what's important about that for you and how that works for you in terms of sort of mental well-being and physical well-being. I discovered running probably about five years ago when I was going through a really, really tough time at work. I'd had a house fire. Work was absolutely massive. My daughter had just been born and it was we were living in a tiny little flat in the middle of Newbury. It was it was a it was a nightmare. And I really struggled with that period of, uh, of my life. I made a conscious decision that instead of going home from work and sitting down in front of the television and trying to look after Scarlett and, and, you know, drink two or three glasses of wine, I was going to get off my bottom and I was going to go out and run Mm. because it was healthier and, you know, it was better. And so I started doing this and realised that it actually worked. It really does work. When you are stressed, exercising calms you down. You are able to manage your thoughts your thoughts slow down everything slows down apart from your heart rate that just goes more but it, that kind of overtakes everything and for me it just snapped into place that look in order for me to be able to deal with all this stuff that's going on in in, in my life a disastrous project in work 
the fact that half my house was burnt down and I'd lost all the stuff on the ground floor. My daughter was very young and that's stressful in itself without, without, without anything else. If I was going to survive that, I found something to actually cling on to and something that really worked and allowed me to clear my head and cleared my thoughts and also have a bit of me time because that's really important too. That was about five years ago, and I basically started running longer and longer and longer and realised I was actually quite good at it, and uh, I could do things quite quickly, and actually my endurance was pretty good. So, you know, I started running longer and longer distances and realising that actually the more I ran, the calmer I actually was. So I turned this, like, stress relief hobby, as it was, into a complete obsession around, you know, waking up four o'clock in the morning and going for like two, three hour runs before work at training for, for ultra marathons. Mm. I don't tell everyone to run ultra marathons because I have got incredibly injured. It has a big, big impact on your body. But exercise and running is really, really, really key to, I think, a much more relaxed, happier, stress-free working life. So I'm very, very keen with all of my team. I don't force everybody into running. But to have that wellness, to have that time out, to actually look after themselves and their their headspace and their head thoughts and being able to calm down. So I actively encourage it. I actively encourage walking meetings. So one-to-one walking meetings where you're not on teams, you pick up the phone and, you know, if you're both working at home and you have a phone call and you walk around whilst you, you have a chat. Or if you're both in the office, go for a walk around campus. That's a great thing to do. What I also do is once a month on a Friday, we have a day where we're not allowed to have any meetings. Mm -hmm. This is me going, right, no one's allowed to have any meetings. Stop it. You need to come out out of this meeting culture and do something that is right for you. Learning and development, wellness stuff. You know, spend the whole day running up mountains if, if you want to. But do something that is right for you, that helps you. And I tell you what, I have got a much, much happier, more motivated, way more productive team, giving them that time to actually do stuff that they want to do, to allow them to to, to de-stress. I think it is hugely important and it's very, very underrated. Yeah. And I don't know, again, if, if we can point this at the pandemic and, and whilst, you know, searching in that for some positive outcomes, to think that perhaps then in the management community of our businesses, there is more awareness of the importance of physical and mental well-being contributing to performance and productivity because it yeah. does, doesn't it? It does. It really, really does. And, and there is. And I, and I have found that, especially with our peers around the organization would have really poo-pooed my idea of this this Friday going what the what on earth are you doing you can't do do that now they're actually embracing it and wanting to do the same Mm. because they know when they see the value of actually you know getting on your bike or going for a run or getting on whatever it is that, that that you do they see the value of it and the pandemic has taught us that because We've had to. We were only allowed out to exercise once a day at some point. Do you remember that? It was yeah. it, it, it was mad, and everybody was doing it. People now realise that it it is beneficial. It'll be really easy for us to go back into our old ways of you know squeezing it in of an evening or maybe on on, on a weekend. But I I think it should be part of our working life. The fact that I even asked. Ordinarily, people would, would not even ask, oh, I'm never going to get that through. I'm not even going to bother. Go and ask. You'd be really, really surprised about how 
open senior leaders are to actually doing this. And and that sort of brings us full circle, doesn't it, in terms of thinking about tying in emotional intelligence, yeah. the, the strategic business knowledge, the commerciality of those decisions, along with the data of, you know, the proof, if you, if you will, the proof of whatever um, it is you're bringing to it, but also something in that leadership behavior of having the guts to take it there and do it and be heard and have that have that voice yeah there is and uh, and and if we take this back to the gender diversity there women are much less likely to take that plunge and to go and do it because women are just different they don't like to put the head above the parapet right and uh, actually go out there and rock the boat and i would actively encourage women to do it because you'd be really really surprised about how supportive people are i completely agree with you get out there and do it we could spend the rest of today and most most of tomorrow um talking. I know. It's, it's so fascinating you have been so free with your experience and um all of your inspiration thank you so much for all of that today it has been really wonderful talking to you thank you yes you too thank you very much for inviting me Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Unlocking Leadership, you can subscribe through all the regular podcast channels. And please do leave us a rating and review there. We'd also love you to share any episodes you've found interesting on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or wherever, so that others can join the conversation and share their experiences. This podcast was made in association with Cornell. It was produced and edited by Nick Hilton for Podo. Thank you.